making, doing decisions right. And how vital and how important it is that we know a biblical procedure, biblical process to do right decisions and to make wise, godly choices. We've looked at some steps. We've looked at the resources, but we've been looking at the steps. In other words, what steps do I take in this decision-making process? Does anyone remember what the first step is? Not the resource, but the first step is. Put me on the spot. Refuse to trust yourself. Yes, absolutely. And refuse to trust yourself. In other words, we're not going to lead to our own understanding. Uh, we're not going to immediately fall back on what we know or our experiences. Uh, we are going to trust in the Lord. We made that as a step, if you'll remember, of writing out your plans. And I encourage you to do this, if you haven't done so already, to write out your plans, whatever they might be. Maybe it's long-term plans. Maybe it's short-term. Maybe it's even over the next month. Whatever it might be, write all those things out, how you would do them. And then with a great big mark, uh, a marking pen, put over, don't trust this. Because uh, we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to take place. And I don't know what's going to happen I can't trust my plans because I cannot foretell the future. And so I can't trust myself. And how important it is that we understand that we need to trust in the Lord. Secondly, we said to seek and to what? To God's will. Seek and... Y'all are slow tonight. The heat has melted your minds. Surrender uh, to God's will. And uh, seek and surrender to God's will. And we, I, uh, we pictured this as, again, taking a piece of paper that is completely blank, signing your name on the bottom and say, God, this is my contract to you. I've signed it. Yes, God. Now, what, now tell me what to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to be. Tell me what I'm supposed to, uh, how I'm supposed to act or where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do in this situation. And God, the answer is going to be yes, the contract is signed, I'm presenting it to you, and I surrender all of my will to your will. I want your will, and I'm surrendered to it. Um, I can't trust my will, but I can trust yours, and I'm surrendering completely and fully to your will. And then thirdly, last week we talked about praying about your decision. And we stated that as that's the next, this is the next step in which we begin. If we haven't already learned or have surrendered in trust to the Lord, we need to do that. Uh, that's the first actionable step is to put our trust in God no matter what. Uh, if, we've trust, if we're trusting God and we've not yet surrendered, then the next thing we need to do is surrender uh, to God's will. And then we spoke about praying about decision. This is really getting to the point in which we are allowing our hearts, uh, through a pure heart, to be in a place where we are listening to God's still, small voice. And, we'll rem and if you'll remember that illustration there. Uh, but it's preparing our heart for what God has for us. If you remember, we use the illustration of a timeline. If there's a de decision that I need to make on the other end of this platform, if it will be, um, and this is the process of me 
making sure my heart is where it needs to be and my spirit is what God desires and I'm yielded to him. And as I pray and as I seek him, God leads and directs. And the Bible teaches us that if we continue in this process, God will show us at that exact time, however long this timeline might be, might be a week, it might be 20 years, it might be 50 years, it might be past our physical life here on this earth. God answers that prayer, but God truly leads and guides and directs. And when that time comes and when we are here where God desires to answer and will answer, we can look back and we can see that we've patiently waited, we patiently have followed Him and have kept that heart that has been tenderly listening to the voice of God. And uh, that timeline is different for every single one of us, and uh, it looks different for all of us. However, thank God that God does answer prayer. And He, if we keep our heart where it ought to be, and we truly have a surrendered will uh, and trust the Lord as we pray, God will begin to bring things to light. He'll begin to show exactly where we need to be and what steps we need to take. This next step ties in in this way. We're looking at step four. After we've prayed about it, after we've surrendered our will to God's, and after we have learned to trust in the Lord to seek godly counsel. Now, let me just simply state, this is speaking of godly counsel. It's not speaking of going to a professional counselor like a psychiatrist or someone like that. This is speaking of a decision-making process. This is speaking of a time in which we surrender in godly manner to a biblical principle that helps and keeps us safe. Let me just simply state that seeking counsel is not a removal of the right to make the decision. Or it is likewise not the removal of responsibility of the decision. Seeking counsel doesn't seemingly eradicate our position in the decision-making process. Seeking counsel and godly counsel helps solidify and bring to light what God is doing in our heart and life. Remember, the decision is ultimately between God and you. No one else. Why do we state that? Because as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He is the one that we answer to. We do not answer to anyone else. We answer to God. And so the decision-making process is encompassed in the priesthood of the believer. Thank God that our decision-making process can be done with the chief priest, with the high priest, the, uh, the one who truly knows all from the beginning and the end, there is no one that stands between us and God. And we can come to him and we can trust him. He is the one that truly is our mediator. And as our mediator, he leads and guides through the Bible. 
reminder that the Bible is our authority. It is our authority. If the Bible is not our authority, then we truly can fall into a situation into where we can allow a counselor to become what Peter warned about, about lording over the Lord's inheritance or the Lord's sheep, the Lord's flock. And there's some biblical or uh, some pastoral models out there that are not biblically correct in that the and that they teach that the pastor is the final authority in all matters. That is not true. That is not in the Word of God. That is a corrupt version of biblical uh, of, of biblical principle, and it is twisting it to make the Word of God say what it is not to say. I am not your final authority. No man is your final authority. God is our final authority. As priest... As children of God, He is the one that we answer to. He alone. And if we're not careful, there have been some who have come into a part in which they lord over the sheep. In other words, they want to control every area of a, someone's heart, someone's life, down to what color of car they buy or what kind of house they live in. That's ludicrous. I don't care what kind of house you live in. I don't care what kind of car you buy. If you, God's in it, get it. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and I'm not going to lord over the sheep. I'm not going to step into that area that is truly between you and God. The Bible teaches us that we are to align ourselves with the principles God gives us in his word. And truly one of those things is counsel. Let me remind you that this is not some type of fellowship that leads unquestionably no matter what the leader says. There have been instances where people have fallen prey to that and have ended up in a very bad situation. And by the way, that type of mentality and that type of dictatorial pastoral leadership will end very, very badly. And so that's not what God is wanting. That's not the, what God is desiring. God is wanting us to have some biblical, godly counsel. And there's everything right and scriptural with that. Years ago, many years ago now, there was a bridge that was built across the San Francisco Bay called the Golden Gate Bridge. Put the picture up if you would, David. It's a very iconic bridge. We've all seen it. If you've seen any films, it's pictured... On so many, it's just become an iconic, uh, an, an iconic scene. It's a beautiful bridge. I've driven across it. I've been on it. It's beautiful. It's an amazing sight and truly a marvel to behold on how incredibly uh, stable it is, spanning that, I think it's over almost two miles long uh, from, uh, from embutment to embutment. It's just, uh, just incredible at how expansive this bridge is. But when this bridge was in its beginning of its construction process, the workers were doing something that we look back upon and were and marveled that they even began this construction doing this. What did they do? Put the next picture up if you would. 
there are two workers there working on one of the towers, one of the high areas you can kind of see from the other tower up there. That, those, the top of those towers are 230 meters above sea, sea level. They are 200, maybe even up almost to the top there because you can see the rising supports there. And if you'll notice there, they are not wearing a harness. There's, no, there's nothing there to catch them at all if they were to fall. And the bridge was being worked and built and constructed upon in this manner for a very long time. But the construction process was going so slow because workers had fallen to their death. At the very height, the very peak, it's 230 meters. At the deck level, it's 75 meters from the deck. 95% of those people who have fallen from the deck or higher have died. Of the 5% that have survived, many of those have drowned because of injuries inflicted upon the fall, or they have died because of hypothermia. And in some instances, those who have survived because they have not died because of hypothermia uh, and their injuries are enabled them to swim uh, and to be able to go to shore because of the many sea lions and uh, sea creatures in that area draws a natural habitat for sharks and those who have survived have further have had instances where they've had been attacked by sharks as they're getting ready to get to the bank there's not a high survival point there you have five percent that survived the fall and i don't know the final tally there but it's a fraction of five percent that have actually survived this entire ordeal it's a very dangerous fall and the workers were so afraid of falling that the construction was going slow. They didn't want to be one of those statistics of the 95% of the people who died. They didn't want a life-altering impact if they did manage to survive. And the construction was going so slow that they decided to do something. They decided to put safety nets. Go to the next picture if you would, David. This is what the construction began to look like as they recognized, hey, wait a minute, we can put nets underneath there. And suddenly the construction progress picked up. Suddenly the bridge went from being behind schedule for completion to ahead of schedule. It was able to be completed before it was even scheduled to be completed, not because of the amount of workers but because of the freedom that the workers felt to work with because of the net that was under them to protect them in case they fell god gives a safety net to us what is that safety net that safety net is godly counsel it is in this time of this safety net that this is going to be a step that is going to expose 
and where God is going to use this to expose if there has been a bad decision-making process. This is going to be the step in which God is going to bring to light if I've, not, if I've gone through this in a way that is not biblical or right. This is the step that God uses to expose whether we followed biblical process. The biblical counsel recorded in God's word is God's method of a safety net. Look at 1 Kings with me. You've been holding your place there for a few minutes. Thank you for allowing me to set the stage here. And now let's look at 1 Kings chapter 12, please. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were to come uh, were come to Shechem to make him king. Now this is Rehoboam is Solomon's son. If you remember, David was a man after God's own heart. David served God all his life. Was he, was he perfect? No, and we understand that. However, his kingship started with the Lord and it ended with the Lord. His son started well, Solomon. He started with the Lord. God blessed him. God truly used him in a mighty way. However, when he ended it, he ended up as being, for lack of better words, a jerk. He was not a good king at the end. And now we see Rehoboam, his father has died. He now has a wealthy king, kingdom. The Bible says there was none that could compare to the wealth and the fame and the stature of Israel when Solomon reigned. God blessed abundantly. And Rehoboam was now taking the stage. He was taking the reins of the kingdom. Now let's read the rest of the story here. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. They sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. Now stop there for just a moment. Let me just kind of put some, fill in some spaces here. Jeroboam has been asked to be the spokesman for the children of Israel. When you see the children of Israel after Solomon and after the reign of David, it is speaking of the ten northern tribes of Israel. Rehoboam would become the king, we'll see this in just a moment, of the southern tribes of Israel, Judah and, Judah and Levi. All the other tribes would be the children of Israel. And the Bible teaches us that they would often be referred to Israel in the Bible. Uh, they are also referred to as Ephraim. Many times the southern tribes... Uh, is referred to as Judah, which is speaking of the Judah and Levi. And so here is the stage. Jeroboam is now meeting this new king, Rehoboam, and they, he is speaking on behalf of the ten northern tribes of Israel. Let's continue. And spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed, 
And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then will they be thy servants forever. Stop there for just a moment. Rehoboam did something here that was incredibly wise in the beginning. He went to the older men, and he asked the men who served with his father, who knew his father, they knew how he started his reign, and they knew how he ended his reign. They saw the difference in their king. And he, Rehoboam, looked to the counselors that served with Solomon and says, how should I handle this? How should I respond? And they very wisely said, you, king, are in the place of service. And by the way, that is the same situation for all public servants. They are servants of the people, not dictators over the people. That is what God's method and God's setting up of government is. They are to serve people, not to be dictators over people. That's biblical and right. And here, these men wisely tell Rehoboam, if you will tell them and speak softly to them and lead softly and say, I will serve. I want to help. How can I help? And lovingly lead them softly. These old men, these wise counselors, said you'll capture the hearts of the people. But notice what Rehoboam does. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. The Bible teaches us that Rehoboam, instead of taking the counsel of the, young, of the old men, went to those who grew up with him, Rehoboam is about 40 years old at this point. He goes to those who grew up with him, who played football with him, who uh, played rugby with him, who uh, went to the same schools, who graduated from the same universities that went through life with him and said, here, I have a question. Sorry, I feel like there's something crawling down the side of my face. If you see a huge spider dropping down on my face, let me know, or just come up and slap me. You have one opportunity. That's the only one choice you have, uh, but you've got to prove that it was there. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but Rehoboam, what did he do? He went to the young men, and he said, I want your advice. And let me just set the tone of where these young men were. Remember, these are young men that now their friend was about to step into authority. This friend, Rehoboam, was wealthy beyond any family they could ever think or know. Rehoboam was an opportunity for them to do what? To gain authority. He was there in. He was their way to prove 
that they had something to prove. He was their opportunity to grab power. He was their opportunity to leap ahead of all of those who were working and struggling and still trying to make ends meet. He was now therein to get into positions of authority among a wealthy, among a wealthy nation that truly could pay and care for them well. It was an opportunity for them with a tainted heart, with a heart yearning power, wealth, and authority to make a step. And upon that is how they counseled. Notice how they did. Look at verse number 10 quickly. And the young men that were grown up with him, that's the second time we see that statement. God points it out for a reason. Why? Because of the same, it's because of the same motives that we spoke of just a moment ago. Saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made your our, our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. How did he answer? He did not answer softly. He answered very roughly. He answered very hard. And because of that, it became bad counsel. Rehoboam is a tragic story of one who sought wise counsel, forsook it, and then embraced the bad counsel from bad counselors. God has a plan. And God truly, in his will, wants us to seek good, godly counselors. This is a step. This is the final step before actually stepping out and saying, by faith, I'm going to make this decision. This is that final moment in where we have seen where God has led. Why? Because we've listened. We've prayed. We've listened to sermons and messages. We've watched how God has been leading through His Word through Bible truths, we see how God has moved our heart in song, even in conversations, and sometimes even seemingly random circumstances that all begin to point, that all begin to direct our heart, that begin to direct our sight in a direction. And as God begins to focus and God begins to give clarity on what He is desiring, it is coming now to this point to where as we are seeing what God is beginning to unfold in our heart and life and how he is directing our heart, that we come and we state, am I hearing this correctly? Am I really hearing what God is saying correctly here? Is this correct? Is this really God's voice that I'm, that I'm, that I'm listening to? I want to purge this of all myself and all of my inhibitions and my desires. And I'm trying to filter through all of that. And I want to see, is this really God moving and directing? 
Am I missing something? How do I know that I've done this right? How do I know that I'm following biblical process right here? Is there something inerrant that I, or excuse me, something errant that I'm, that I'm not seeing and that I should be seeing? And this is where biblical counsel is so vitally important. Uh, Brother John Wolf, can I have your help for a second here, if you would, please? you would join me on the platform and just stand over by the chair over there if you would thank you very much i'm going to use this as a, use him as an illustration of a godly counselor and he truly is a man that is worthy to be called a godly counselor but i'm going to use this coffee mug here as the decision that god is wanting me to follow and to pick up and to use and so i'm praying and i'm seeking the lord and the lord is directing and i'm seeing how god is maybe closing some avenues and closing some directions and god is seemingly no matter which way i go he seems like he's leading me a certain direction here seems like it's coming to this point to where everything is pointing that god wants me to grab this I've been surrendered to the God's will. My heart has been bathing in the word of God. I've been seeking and listening to his voice. And it seems like I just can't get away from it. It seems like God is truly directing this way. And as I'm seeing all the things that are coming along this way, and it just looks like I ought to reach out, I come and I say, John, would you come here for a second? Why don't you come and just stand right in between me and the cup? And I come to this point and I say, John, should I pick up that cup? Should I take it? Seems harmless. What have I just done? I have put John as the final authority to whether or not I should accept that cup or not. I've removed God And he has become the authority, the approval, if I should be doing this. That's not what God states. And there's a danger to this as well. Because the danger comes in to where bad leadership and bad pastoral authority can come in. And there are church members I know and friends that I love that feel like they can't even go out and open a bank account without running it past their pastor first. Where's that in the Bible? Where in the Bible does it say you have to own a silver car? It's not in there. And yet there are churches today that are so pastorally dictatorial that they want that authority over the church members that you cannot make a move without that authority. And what have we done? We have replaced God with that authority. Go back to where you were for just a moment. The type of authority that is biblical is this. It is coming and seeing, okay, I believe after praying that God wants me to pick up this cup. And now I say, John, I believe this is what God wants. Should I do it? 
now here is where we should be. It should be at a point in which John looks at it and says, you know what? I don't think that's the best cup. Notice, I'm holding it. I've made the decision, but my grasp isn't so firm upon the decision that if John says, you know what? Pastor, that's a really, it's a good cup, but I think there's a better choice. That now he has given me a safety net that, you know what, there's something not right with this. And he, not taking it, but saying, you know what, let's put this down. Let's set this aside. And I'm okay with that. Because I've sought godly counsel. And if godly counsel says, wait a minute, there's a problem here. My decision isn't so firmly grasped upon it that he cannot have any speaking into a problem that he sees as I relay how God is beginning to lead my heart. And here's where many come. Many say, well, no one can tell me what to do. And that's true. It should be God in you. God is the one that makes the decision. But here is where many go wrong is that they settle their heart. Maybe it's a teenage girl that's settled upon marrying a young man. Everyone sees all the warning signs that this is not a good relationship. And they come and she asks her father and says, I'm going to get married. This is what I'm going to do. And her father says, no, you, sh- you need to let go of this. And her grasp is so tight upon this that really it's going to begin World War III if her father takes it because she's made a decision and no one can talk her out of it. So godly counsel is not them stepping in between the decision between God and me, nor is it holding on to that decision so tightly that godly counsel can't say, I see some problems here. You need to go and reconsider some things. Godly counsel is coming and saying, you know what? I think this is what God wants me to do. What do you think? I'm not grasped, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to hold on to this. If you see some problems, teach me, help me. Is there something I'm missing? I'm holding on to this loosely. Let's walk through this together. And that's how God wants it to be. This is what God desires for biblical decisions to be made. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. This is a process truly that is, is, is a process. I mentioned a moment ago the wedding, and we've all been to weddings where we've seen um, everyone know that this is God-ordained. Um, both parents are for it, the pastor's for it, all, the, uh, uh, all their uh, friends and counselors are all before it, and it's just something that is all of God. You know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is what God desires and God wants. And oh, the wedding is sweet, and everyone knows that this is exactly the will of God. But then we've all been to weddings and where we've said, this is not going to end well. They've got some difficulties ahead of them if they don't get some areas ironed out. We've all been to points in which we look and say, there's some situations. They've got some rocky roads ahead. God's grace is sufficient. But there's some trouble, and everyone can see it. God wants us to come to a point in which our hearts can be led. Counsel is following God's voice to a 
voice to a decision. And then holding it loosely in case God wants to expose something. God is using this as a safety net. Maybe I have missed something. Maybe there is something that I have not thought of or prayed about. Maybe there is an area that is lacking. What is it that I've missed? And it's going back and beginning to go through that decision-making process, making sure that I'm following it, just as we have spoke of to this point. Let me give you three things tonight as we think about biblical counsel. First of all, as we think of seeking counsel, they are in essence vetting. They're seeing what God, we're giving them opportunity to see if there is something that needs to be exposed in our heart, in our life. Number one, as we seek godly counsel, it is vetting God's voice. God teaches in His Word that He wants to confirm His purposes through a multitude of counselors. The Bible teaches that over and over again. A multitude of counselors. There is safety. We'll see that in just a moment. This is not a veto power. And again, unfortunately, there's too many stories of even... uh, uh, well-meaning people thinking that they need to have a veto power in someone's life. That is the same thing as dictatorial, unscriptural leadership. But it speaks a little softer. It says, okay, come to me, but I'm going to give the veto power. I have the ultimate say as to whether or not you're actually going to take that cup or not. That's not scriptural either god wants us to give him control of our decisions and no one else should have control of our decisions they're god's and god is the one that has the authority to lead us as the priest uh, uh, in in the priesthood of the believer look at proverbs chapter 20 with me if you would please we're going to look at a lot of verses in proverbs tonight and again, I'm trying to help. I know we've, uh, I've followed this process these last months, uh, in a, very carefully, and I want to be a help. I know this, my, the decision that God has led me to, is putting this church in a position in which it needs to make some decisions and is making decisions in these coming days, on who will be one day your spiritual a spiritual leader, not authority, but spiritual leader. And teach and preach the word of God and encourage and strengthen. And I understand that. And I want to give you some help this evening as we think about this authority. Or this counsel, excuse me, not authority. Notice what the Bible says. Every purpose... Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 18, excuse me. Every purpose is established by counsel. And with good advice, make war. Every purpose is established, speaking of a strong decision. Speaking of something that has been firmly planted, that is firmly rooted, something that has been firmly strengthened and firmly established. Every purpose is established. And we'll speak more of that word established in a little bit. 
but it is speaking once again of a firming and a confirming of a need and a desire for a very strong decision. A very strong decision. And that's important for us to have that. The Bible teaches us, look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Solomon states, there's no wisdom or understanding that goes against what God desires and what God is leading. There's no wisdom in that. There's no counsel in that. So what does that mean? That means that there is counsel to follow the Lord. Godly counsel does follow to give wisdom and to follow what God desires and what God leads one to do. If we could take Proverbs 21.30 and if we could apply it to one that, a principle that we looked at earlier, this in essence is passing the pure heart test. This is a process in which we look and we can see where our heart is regarding what the Lord wants and desires. This is a time in which we look at and we say, okay, I need to get some advice. I need some counsel and I want some counsel. And if our heart, though, is coming into a point in which we do not want to get any advice. We don't want to get what God has clearly instructed as a multitude of counselors, as a multitude of people who are speaking in to the situation to see that safety net of the Lord develop. We do not want to get any advice and we spur it. What are we doing? We are exposing what is in our heart. We're not willing to get counsel. And really, when we're not willing to get counsel and do not want to get counsel, the true reasoning behind that is because we are afraid and know that we're making the wrong decision. Listen, if you're afraid of getting counsel from people that you love and want God's best for you, then this should be a moment in which is an indicator on your instrument panel of your spiritual life that says there's a warning, there's an engine management light that has come on, there is some problems taking place, the heart is not where it should be. Why? Because our hearts should be open and transparent and there shouldn't be any reason not to go get counsel and to seek a multitude of counselors. And if we do not, and we do not want to do so, it's because we know that we're doing the wrong thing. And we're just hoping that we beat the odds. But wait a minute, God tells us that we're supposed to be objective about our decision. And throughout this whole process, these last, including tonight, nine weeks, we've looked at trying to objectify and see the decision for how God unfolds it and then to be able to see and, and, and learn if we are following biblical principle to come to the decision that God wants us to make. It needs to come to a point in which we objectify that decision and enable people to speak into that decision if we've done that biblically incorrectly. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 20, notice what the Bible says. Hear counsel 
and receive instruction. That thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. A multitude of counselors helps us truly to do what? To make wise choices. To see that God is for, or He is giving us that safety net in the bad decision which we are making. It's the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. As we seek godly counsel, we need to be doing so with a heart of wanting to vet God's voice. In essence, is this really God's voice that I'm listening to? Or am I listening to my own heart or my own desires or I'm trying to do things my own way? Is this really God's voice? Is it really apparent that this is what God is leading to? Secondly, tonight, we need to vet godly counsel. What do we mean by that, vet godly counsel? These past months has put me in a situation in which I've had to seek out even some different counselors than I would normally would go to. Why? Well, as I have been, was asked and am going to serve with my pastor as an assistant pastor, he is one of my chief counselors. He, the one who was proposing what God had placed upon his heart as a possibility of maybe God putting us together in ministry, automatically in my mind rejected him as one of my chief counselors to be one of my counselors because he's biased. <laughs> He's proposed the job position. He's proposed the ministry opportunity. Throughout this time, I had to seek some unbiased counselors. There are some men that I love and that I seek counsel from and I have sought counsel from over these years that I have specifically chosen not to because I knew the biased nature. What do I mean? Biased nature of biasly wanting us to stay here or biasly wanting us to go back to the states this was a matter in which i had to very carefully look at the multitude of counselors and say there are some counselors that i've got to add to this list that i know are godly that are god-fearing man a man that i can ask regarding this area and do so in a very unbiased way and to inspect my decision-making process because I wanted to make sure that this was God's voice that I was listening to. And I sought godly men who had more experience and every one of them was older than me. The average age of counselors that I spoke to was at least 20 years my elder. 
was at least in their 60s, some in their 80s, and some approaching 90. I wanted to make sure that they, these were men who had more experience, that knew and were in the will of God, that their families were, loved God and loved the Lord, and they were serving together. And I, on purpose, chose counselors that would be unbiased and that had much more spiritual experience and much more uh, uh, ministry experience than I had. All of them, without exception, would fall into this category. All of them. And I did so on a purpose. Why? Because I was vetting godly, godly counsel. I wanted to hear God's voice. Not my own. I didn't want just a bunch of biased counselors that was going to immediately affect my decision one way or the other. I wanted to make sure they were going to look at it very objectively and say, we love you, we want God's best for you, and here's how we can counsel you. The Bible teaches a process here. Look at Psalms 1, please, verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The Bible teaches about us not walking in the counsel of the ungodly to make sure that the people whom we are speaking to uh, and uh, going to, one, are which are godly people, and two, love and love the Lord and love and love you and want the best and want truly to give a neutral type of counsel, an unbiased people, and that is scriptural and right. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Is wise. Oh, there's such a wonderful joy in being able to yield to counsel and to allow God truly to work and to confirm in that decision. I'm going to skip some things here. I don't think I'm going to skip any verses. I'm just skipping in my own notes, David, so I don't think it's going to mess you up at all. Um, but thirdly, quickly here tonight, we need to validate a strong decision. As we seek counsel in, with, godly counsels, with godly counselors, this is going to confirm in our minds, it's going to solidify in our minds what God has led to. As I see godly counsel and God confirms over and over again, what does it do? It gives me reason to say, you know what? I made the right choice. I followed the direction of God. God led to pick this up. And he's confirmed it over and over and over again. This is a confirmation of biblical counsel. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, if you would, with me. In verse number 22, the Bible says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in a multitude of counselors, they are established. There's that word again, established. Again, confirmed, cemented, solidified. It makes it stronger, established. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 14, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. We looked at Psalms 1 and just a moment ago. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. 
the Bible says, but his delight, verse number two, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. When we go and when we seek biblical counsel, here is what we are doing. We are taking biblical process, we're taking biblical authority, and we are covering ourselves with this biblical authority. We are in essence, whoops, sorry about that. Uh, We're in essence, we are covering our life, we're covering our heart with the biblical authority. We are hiding safely under the word of God, and we are following his leadership in seeking counsel. When I seek counsel with, from godly men, what am I doing? I am asking them to poke holes in my decision process. Did I miss something? Show me where I've gone wrong in this process. Is there anything that you're seeing that brings immediate alarm what is it that I've missed? This is truly being fully transparent and exposing even the deepest parts of our heart at times. There are some conversations I have, I've had with men over the last couple of months that have been extremely uncomfortable to me, but I've made those statements because I wanted to be fully transparent and fully clear with how God was leading my heart. I could see how God was guiding. I could see where God was directing. And truly, it came to a point in which I did exactly what we illustrated. I picked up the decision. I say, is this really what God, what I think it is? Is this really what it is? And every single one, unanimously, unanimously. I'm not talking just two or three. I'm talking a multitude of counselors here. I have spent hours on the phone i have spent hours on calls facetime and zoom and all those things vetting this process and going through and every single one would make statements like this just seems like you just need to take the next step of faith and step out on by on faith on this one man who i honestly thought i could talk him into seeing it and a way in which I was making it as a wrong decision, said, Justin, you've done everything right. You just need to take the next step. That's a moment in which all of a sudden, what does it do? First of all, it confirms that the Bible was working and has been valid and has been real in my heart and life. But what does it also do? it also solidifies that this is exactly what God wants. And the more confirmation that is given and the more validation that is speaking to that, what does it do? It strengthens that decision and that is important to be a strong decision. Very important. It doesn't matter if you're making a life-changing move like my family and I are moving and I'm leading my family in this area or making a decision about other areas. But again, no matter what the decision that God is leading and guiding to, this is an important step in which we solidify and confirm what God is doing in our heart and life. 
I've sought counselors for every single step, a major step that I've made in my life. Every single one. I remember when I was about to propose to my wife and was seeking a multitude of counselors. I asked my pastor, I asked um, uh, those who knew me and uh, served with me, and I asked a multitude of people, and every and voice after voice said, yes, this is exactly what God wants. We see this. Before I even said, would you, or I, before I even asked her, would you be my wife, I wanted to make sure this was very clear. And of all the multitude of counselors, there was only one man a very dear friend of mine, a man who I served with, who looked and said, Justin, I don't know if this is what God wants. Man, if I only would have listened, if I only would have known. <laughs> no, it was a majority. And years have proven that this is exactly what God desires. You know, it's amazing how God allows counselors to solidify in our hearts why is that important because that validation is going to be necessary but why because it is about to be tested (laughs) anytime you pick up the decision you step out in the decision that you know God wants you to make Mark my words. Satan is going to begin testing. And if a decision is done right, that testing is only going to bring a greater confirmation and a stronger validation. And it's going to take the concrete that is setting and that is beginning to really adhere through counsel. And it is going to solidify and harden it and confirm it in your heart and life. Why? Because that testing confirms in a way, uh, confirms in your heart and life that it is what God has desired. This is when we truly look back on the Bible and we look to see how God has spoken to our hearts as the testing comes. We remember those voice moments in prayer. We remember how God led us in His Word. How God began to show through random circumstances how He was leading and directing our heart and our attention and then how He validates it through counsels and how He confirms it and solidifies it in our heart. And it really becomes an airtight decision that God has led through. And why is that important? Because I mark my words, the moment that you step out, suddenly it's going to look like everything is going to fall out from under you for just a moment going to look like things are going to start crumbling and things are going to start decaying and you're going to be wondering for a moment is this exactly what it is but then you run back to what you've uh, spent time in and the hours of prayer and fasting and the hours and moments in which you've listened to the voice of God and how God has validated over and over again and that counsel is going to be a time in which it's going to set the decision like concrete in your heart Why? Because that testing must be by design. That testing 
is help you grow and help you to grow through this process. It's to be there for my help, not for me to second guess, but it's to rather to help me to grow through the process. There have been moments where I've looked at this decision and as testing has come, I've looked at it and I've stated that this is exactly what God wants. I spoke with my pastor. And as we spoke with, I spoke with my pastor, he asked me a question. He said, has this caused you to doubt in any way what God is doing? And I said, pastor, in every way it has only solidified and confirmed in every way that this is exactly the step that I should be making. God wants to use testing. We'll talk more about that next week. But God uses this to help us and to guide us. It illuminates, in essence, through His Word, His, our paths. Psalms 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 119 133 says, Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. When God tells me to take a step and you take that step, it ought not to be a time in which we allow iniquity to override what we've stepped out by faith. Three things. I've taken too much time. Three things that come out of counseling, but again, I've only got two more Wednesday nights um, here, and I want to make sure that um, you have these tools here, uh, and I hope it's been a help. Three things can come out of counseling. The right decision, the right time, and the right way. There are decisions that come that clearly not the right decision, clearly not what is done biblically and in an order. Or maybe if it is the right decision, it's not the right time for it. Or maybe it's gone about the wrong way. We've all seen decisions, good decisions, that are going about the wrong way. God wants us to have the right decision, the right time, the right way. Counsel is that safety net. I'll make this statement and I'll close. If there is no consensus among my counselors, I would not make a decision. I would not make that decision. And I'm not talking just a simple majority. I'm talking about a overwhelming majority of counselors that are for the decision that I would make, that I make it. Why? Because again, the process is there to vet. The process is there to give that safety net. But if the overwhelming majority of counselors is against it or even a slim majority I would not make that decision. And I've tried to practice that even these last five years here. There have been some things that the trustees and I have spoke to, and it's been a slim majority, and I've just not done it. 
not going to. But when it's unanimous, when it's a majority, I can clearly see that God is leading and guiding in that direction. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. And God wants us to seek godly counsel. It solidifies what God is doing. It confirms what God is doing. And helps us to see if we follow the biblical process or if we've erred along the way. And if we've erred, go back. Begin begin the process again. And watch God begin to reshape and redo.